Thank you, quartet and the band ensemble for that ministry and music. I'm going to ask for our ushers to come forward with the handouts, and I'd like to introduce Dr. Jim Archery. He is the director of our denominations, the BFC Board of Missions. He's working on finishing up his second year as that director. Before that, he was a pastor of our BFC church in Red Hill, PA. As uh, we just saw, he's a very accomplished guitarist, and many of us, of us discovered that back at Pinebrook years ago. So we appreciate uh, the large part that he's playing in our service this morning. Brother, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Eric. Good morning, everyone. I guess my claim to fame is I once gave a bass lesson to Colton, I think it was, 10 years ago at Pinebrook. Um, as you can see, uh, my name is uh, Jim Archiri. It's an Italian name. The CI combination makes a CH sound. You know some names like that. Leonardo da Vinci, Anthony T. Fauci. Oh, maybe I should go home now. Okay, that's right. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to say thank you to your, the church here for your support of my, myself and my position, and also to the Camilles, the Estrates, the Murkies, the Messics, the Murrins, the Riddells, the student Ross and Laura Rob Overson. So thank you for your continued support for those missionaries and the work that they're doing. Well, um, let's, uh, let's see. Oh, I can see it right there. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, good. It's because I don't have any eyes in the back of my head. But um, you can, I'm, I'm so glad to be with you today. And uh, let's read from Matthew chapter 9. That's our passage this morning. And I want you to pay attention because I'm asking you a question about this, uh, these verses here in just a second, all right? Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through, uh, we'll just go through the end of 38 to the end of the chapter. The, uh, Matthew 9, is this is sort of a summary of what's been happening in that chapter. Jesus has been teaching and uh, doing miracles, and then it's sort of summarized it by, in verse 35 by saying, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Doesn't that sound like a lot of work? All these villages and healing all these, these diseases and afflictions? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Uh, how many of you are using the ESV? I noticed that uh, Pastor Cower is using that this morning. And then how many of you are using an inferior version? Oh, well, you're going you're gonna, to just hold on to that. Just hold on to that, all right? We're going to come back to that in a minute. All right, so, uh, great. How many of you have ever seen signs like this lately? Everywhere I go, I see a help wanted sign. Well, you know what? This sign has been around for 2,000 years when it comes to the kingdom of God. Because have we finished getting the gospel to all the nations and tribes? No, and so we still need some help. Right? So how we're going to do that is that's why you have a Board of Missions, to be in partnership with you. And we have two main goals at the Board of Missions to try and solve this su supply chain problem 
and that we were trying to encourage every believer, every believer, to be on mission, right? Oh, every believer, a disciple on mission. By the way, you're going to read the yellow, all right? I, this is, I like audience participation. And also, being Italian, they say Italians can't talk without what? How do you guys know that out here in Pennsylvania Dutchland? Well, I'm a 21st century Italian, and we can't talk without using PowerPoint. So that's why you're going to see a lot of that. All right, so every believer, A, on, okay, and then all supporting and at least one. That's how we're hoping to solve the supply chain problems and in terms of the Bible Fellowship Church and our responsibility, our sphere of responsibility. All right, well, let's go on, and here's what I'm going to uh, try to do with you today, and I need your consent for this message. And by the way, you all got the handouts, right? Did you all receive a handout? All right, good, because we're going to be filling that out, and I actually neglected to say that those, uh, what we just looked at, you needed to fill in the blanks there. All right? But I'm going to ask for your consent for this message, because this is a quote from Francis Bacon, a 17th century uh, mathematician. It is the supreme nature of heavy, that is critical, important, significant, weighty things to sink to the bottom of the stream of history, or they cannot be seen, while straw and stubble flow to the top. But on occasion, God gives someone a long spoon to stir up the bottom. I hope this message is a long spoon. I intend to stir things up here this morning, all right? I intend to do that. So I'm asking for your consent. So on the page there, you see, it says consent, yes or no. I hope you'll circle yes. If you circle no, there's the parking lot. And um, no, I'm not serious about that. But we are going to be serious about this, uh, this topic this morning. All right. Here's, here is, we're going to look at some scripture. Remember, you read the yellow. And what is the yellow going to be all about? Just a second. While he was in one of those cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and, and Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. All right? As we pray, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And then one more. We, you, be reconciled to God. These yellow words are the same exact Greek word in the text that we read in Matthew chapter 9, where it says, Jesus said, therefore pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into his harvest. That's why I asked you if you use the ESV, because only the ESV and maybe the King James, out of 14 basic uh, translations that people use, there's the only ones that bring out this word. So you can see that it isn't just Jesus, you think Jesus is saying, look, once a year on Mission Sunday, pray. I mean, what do you and I pray about night and day? What do we beg God for? What do we implore people about? Some really important things, yes or no? Well, see, you see how important this is to Jesus because he's using that same intensity of language when he's speaking to his disciples about help wanting, more labors, the harvest. Why is he so serious about that? Why such intensity in his language? Well. Let's look at this. After I looked, and behold, a great that no one could number from every, from all, and, and standing before the throne and before the Lamb, 
clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, I think I've heard louder voices on a soccer field. Can you use your outside voices inside today? All right, and let's do that again so that maybe heaven can hear this, all right? You want to try that? All right, let's, let's see. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Maybe that's why Jesus is asking us to pray so beggingly. He wants to hear that. He wants to hear that shouting from all of the tribes, tongues, and nations. Because he did sacrifice on the cross to do that, yes? Wow. All right. Well, how do you go about getting more help? Help sign, a sign has been up for 2,000 years. How do you do it? Well, you usually, to get more help, you go to where people are already working, and you try to demonstrate that you can employ them, and you, you can even train them if needed. Well, that's what Jesus did. When he needed more to, to get laborers for the harvest, he went to Zebedee and Sons Fishing Company Incorporated. That's where he went. And he demonstrated that he knew how to fish and told them he could train them because they had fished all night, caught nothing. He tells them to fish on the other side of the boat, okay, and all were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And I want to emphasize that word partners that's a Greek word koinonia. We usually see it translated fellowship. But originally it was a business term. And, and James and John and, and Simon and Andrew were all in this fishing business together. And Jesus goes to where they're working and he recruits them. And he demonstrates he knows how to fish. <laughs> so they can join up with him when he says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. So it's a new kind of business partnership. Not fishing, but it's fishing for men or harvest laboring, all right? How many of you ever have seen the old uh, cable show called Undercover Boss? Did you ever see that? It's where the CEO of a company goes undercover. He disguises himself, let's say, the, a hotel chain CEO, maybe married or whatever. And he goes and works at the lowest possible position in the company, like the front desk. And this one guy did that in this one episode. Never forget it. And as he's working there with his fellow employees, even though he's president of the, of the chain, he discovers that nobody knows what they're doing. And customers are getting really frustrated. And so he says to his fellow employees, doesn't the hotel company offer training? And they look at each other and they say, no. <laughs> and now he's really angry because guess what? He wrote the training program. And it's not being followed. Well, in our text that we read this morning, we have Jesus' training program for more harvest laborers. It's, it's a very simple program, and uh, it always, like all good sermons, has three points. It's uh, looking, discovering Jesus' redemptive interest in people. It's feeling, developing Jesus' relational integrity with people. And then thirdly, acting, determining our regular investment for people. Jesus told his disciples to look, told them how he felt about what he was seeing, and then sent them out. So we're going to look at that training program this morning. Okay. And again, this, again, don't forget about your uh, outline there. All right. So looking, discovering Jesus' redemptive interest in people has two parts, observation and interpretation. Observation is just being on site. 
or needs insight, being, on, being somewhere where you can discover what people's needs are. All right, and so Jesus did that in our text, and it says, here's what he observed, and he told his disciples this. I observed two things. People are harassed, which means mangled. That's something to, to um, fill in on your sheet there. And then the word helpless, which means to be thrown down. And a sheep farmer told me that if a sheep gets, falls into a ditch and it's up you know, on its back with all four feet in the air, it will resign itself to die right there because it can't get up on its own. And he's a shepherd. And that's what Jesus is saying. Look, guys, this is what I see. I see people resigning themselves to die. And they're in need of a shepherd. Now, we know, and this would still be future for the disciples, but we know that Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And I hope you know him as your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, David could say, right? And I hope you've come into that relationship, saving relationship with him. But for the disciples, that's still future. The cross is still future. But this is what he's saying. Look, guys, I want you to see these people like I see them. That's why, that's why he would be there, okay? All right. And uh, then there's interpretation right he's told them we're out here with the people in fact there was uh, somebody's added up jesus's interactions comes to about 130 131 you know only 10 of them would be what we would call in church all the rest are out there with people he just seemed to love to be with people and when he's with the people he tells his disciples how to see them and then he told them, tells them how to talk to themselves about them What's this, who, who is the single most important you can talk, person you can talk with all day? It's a Sunday school answer. Yeah, the Lord. Okay. Now, who is the second most important person you can talk with all day? Yourself. Because we can talk ourselves in and out of a good or bad thing. And so he's showing the disciples, here's how, guys, here's how I want you to talk to yourself when you see people like this, like I see them. Here's what happened. Case in point, training program, moment, John 9, as he passed by, he saw, notice the emphasis on his eyes, a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's the cultural interpretation of the day. You judge people, and then you can dismiss them. That's clean, that's neat. That's how, that's how they talk to themselves, and that's why they verbalized it. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, the, the, the sad thing about that cultural interpretation is who they got that from. Who'd they get that from? And I have a special camera that can go back in time and take pictures of biblical scenes. It's, it's going to be better than the iPhone 30, whatever comes out. Actually, I don't. But here's Jesus, and this is from Luke chapter 7. An artist has painted this, and that's Simon the Pharisee. Jesus was invited to eat at his house. And a woman came in, a sinful woman, the scripture says, and Simon judges the woman, she shouldn't be here. And then he does this, the Pharisee, the religious teacher, the pastors of the day, he judges Jesus because Jesus wouldn't judge the woman and make her stop touching him. Wow, a lot of judging going on there, a lot of dismissing. But Jesus is saying, and this is in the passage, do you see this woman? See, Jesus' eyes, and Simon, I want you to see this woman like I see her, harassed and helpless and in need of a shepherd. Well, that's where the disciples got their, they got that cultural interpretation of life. They got it from their teachers. But Jesus has got a different idea for them. He's training them to become harvest laborers, not harvest dismissers. 
And Jesus answered to his disciples, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. We don't care how he got here, all right? But that the words, oh, you're supposed to read that. The, so Jesus is teaching the disciples, let's look at people and these events as redemptive opportunities. Redemptive opportunities. That's what he has to train them to see. And Jesus, again, was taking advantage of common things to train these guys, and that would be meals, right? They all would be eating together sometime during the day, and when they were, the judges and dismissers uh, complained to the disciples, those religious teachers of the day, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And it's a good question because when you, in those days especially, when you ate with someone, that meant you accepted them, right? That you uh, considered that a good relationship. Well, look at that. I mean, are eating with, he's, look what he's doing. Look, look what you guys are doing. Don't you want to stay pure? <laughs> stay away from sinners? Jesus, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he insulted them. He quotes from Hosea chapter 6. Go and learn what this means. Yeah, you guys, you religious teachers, you need to learn something here. I desire, oh, there it is. Wow. What is Jesus saying by quoting this? And yeah, there's the, those sacrifices were important in the Old Testament, but what's more important apparently is to show mercy to people who have great need, who are harassed and helpless. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Does this kind of training go on today? What do you think? Yeah. Um, there was a young Pentecostal preacher in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania, not far from here. And in 1958, he was opening, he opened up a Life magazine, and he read about teenage boys on trial for murder in New York City. Teenage boys committed murder. Now, what could he have done? He could have said, who sinned? These boys, their parents. He could have dismissed them, judged them, and dismissed them. But he heard a voice, he says, and he felt like the Lord was saying to him, go to New York City and help those boys. Oh yeah, young Pentecostal preacher's gonna go to the Big Apple and help the boys. Go to New York and help those boys. They're harassed and helpless, they need a shepherd. He went. Who was that young Pentecostal preacher? That was David Wilkerson. Look what God did. An ordinary guy doing something very simple, and then God showed up. In an amazing way, and it's still happening all over the world, which means now we need a new bracelet, okay? We need a new bracelet. Instead of the W, 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 what would Jesus do? W, W, J, we need a W, what, C, which means what could Jesus do? Because we aren't just following his example. He's alive. He's risen from the grave. He's right here. He promised the disciples, I'll be with you every day. So how willing am I to be with people like he was? How, am I willing to take a redemptive interest in them? What could Jesus do with ordinary people like me who do simple things? After all, who were the disciples? Ordinary fishermen. And he trained them. Therefore, he can train you and me. All right. Well, let's, and that's on your handout before we finish that section. You have this regarding the harvest. Why would Jesus desire us to have mercy more toward people than our dedication to church activities? Because in relating the gospel to harassed and helpless people, 
the kitchen table, the workplace, or a neighborhood may be more effective than the church building. More effective. It was more effective on the streets in New York than the church building. Anyway, that's something to consider. All right. Second part of the training program. Now he's, he's been showing in various incidences how to see people, how to talk to themselves about what they see. Now he's going to take them even deeper and say to them how seeing people affects him, which would mean he'd want them to learn how, how that would affect them. All right? And that's the idea of compassion. In the Greek, the word compassion means guts. It's, it's often translated as liver or heart and lungs. So look at this. Jesus says... I see all this, and it really stirs me up. Gets me in my gut. Let's look at Jesus' emotional life for a little while here. A man who had died was being carried away out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, which means she has no help now. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And he had, his guts were stirred up about this situation. Just a couple more verses. When? You see the eyes again there? Saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was in his spirit, and, and then when he draw near, and when he drew near, and he over it, meaning sobbing, actually. Our Lord had a rich emotional life. So let me ask this. Who in history would you say was the most emotionally mature person who ever lived? Right, it is a Sunday school answer too, okay? Jesus. Now catch this. What is the Lord's goal for each one of us? We're told that in all things God works together for good. You probably know that verse. The next verse is, and he's doing that because he's shaping us into the Image of Christ. Hmm. Would it then be proper to assume that the things that happen in my life are happening because the Lord is trying to shape me into the emotional maturity of Jesus? What do you think? Yes? Wow. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it emotions that often mess up a lot of stuff in life? And is it great to know that God's going to be shaping and transforming our emotional life to be like Christ? Somebody ought to say praise the Lord in Hebrew, which is hallelujah. <laughs> You've sung that many times. Yeah, what an amazing thought. How can we make that practical, though? Well, we could go to a thousand different seminars and Bible studies and conferences, or we could just look at Jesus himself and compare ourselves to him. And that's what we're going to talk about. Jesus' relational integrity is a matter of our growing into the fullness of grace and truth because the scripture said, and this is on your outline there, some descriptions, that when he came, he came in the fullness of grace and truth. Right? Well, what does that look like? It looks like a matrix. Where's the math people? No math people. Again, maybe I should just go home. I don't know. All right. Let's imagine that in, a, in life, we can be high on truth or low on truth. You want to give them numbers? You could give the 
high being 10 and low being zero. And we can be full of grace, which would be 10 there, and we can be empty of grace. So right away, you can see that to be full of grace and full of truth would be Jesus's compassion. That would be the richness of his emotional life, and that's what the Lord wants to develop with you and I. However, because we still have a fallen nature, even though we are believers, we can tend to go to one of the other quadrants. And we're going to look at that and how the Lord himself trained people to move to the upper right. All right? We're going to do some case studies. Jonah, Peter, Gertie, and Florence. You know the first two. The other two I'll introduce you to. Here he is, one of the most compassionate men you've ever seen. That's Jonah. Right? Outside of Nineveh, he's angry. Scripture says he's angry. He tells God he's angry. He tells God he has a right to be angry about Nineveh. He, he was dismissive when God first asked him to go to Nineveh, right? He just left. He's going, no, I'm not, Nineveh, forget it. I got some history with those people, maybe. And he was fighting with God. And finally, after, you know, the whole chapter four, after the vine, the fig, they, they, it dries up. God just asked him a question. You know, Nineveh, 120,000 people don't even know their right hand from their left and a lot of cattle. And then he says, Jonah, shouldn't I have compassion? You see, here's the neat thing. Just as much as God wanted Jonah to take the message of repentance and salvation to Nineveh, just as much as that, and maybe even more so, God wanted to work with the messenger to mature him. Isn't that neat? Somebody ought to say, praise the Lord in Hebrew. Okay. That's one case study. Let's go to the next. This is Peter, right, in Antioch, and he was having ham sandwiches with the Gentiles because God had showed Peter, just uh, showed him, Specifically, Peter, you can go and eat with the Gentiles. Don't worry about it. You won't be contaminated. And he had to even defend that to his Jewish friends at one point. But there he is up in Antioch, eating with the Gentiles. And then and teenagers take note. Then the cool kids showed up. The men from James in Jerusalem. And when they showed up, Peter did not want to be seen as accepting the Gentiles was uncircumcised people. What did he do? Even Barnabas with him. He, instead of harvest laboring with the Gentiles, he removed himself. Now, was there anything wrong with his theology? No. God had told him. It was his emotional immaturity. He was getting his identity from what the cool kids, if you will, thought of him. And not from what God had taught him. He was only getting his identity with what people thought about him. You saw that when he denied the Lord. And it's still happening. But again, our God is so gracious that even if we have a peer dependency, you know, when you share the gospel with people, that's peer pressure. That's not a problem. It's peer dependency for identity. That's the problem. And Peter, through fear, froze. God works with the messenger. And he had to learn it. And, the, and Paul was the one to instruct him on that. Okay. Now, this is, this is a true story about Gertie. Gertie was a woman in the church plant of where I was in Virginia. And um, it was a 
we probably only had 40, 50 people coming. And what I used to do was, after the music, before the message, I used to ask people to just get, get up and stand up and meet somebody you don't know, right? Or just shake hands and introduce yourself to the person next to you. As soon as I said that, you know what Gertie did? You guessed it. She ran to the restroom. <laughs> that was her cue. Just like that, every time. She, she was hiding out emotionally, and, so she, and because she distrusted people, she had been burnt before in church, and so she took flight. And she came to me, and she said, Pastor Jim, I, I, I want to help build this church, and I know what I'm doing is not helping by running to the restroom instead of greeting people. Can you help me? I said, sure, Gertie, let's do it. Now, Scripture tells us that everything you and I need for life and godliness is in the Word of God, especially particular promises. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where God says, Jim, promise me you'll do better. I think because he knows I, I won't. I can't keep my promises. But I see in the Word where he tells me I'm to live by his promises to me. Second Peter chapter 1. And so that's what we did. We grabbed a promise for Gertie, right? And before I tell you what that promise was, we had to work through some biblical psychology here. Okay, and that is from Psalm 1, where it says you and I are like trees. And we discovered that she avoided people because she was fearful. But why was she fearful was because she was believing in her own ability to control life. That was more important than growing. And that was based on her bad past experiences. Those were her self-conversations that led to her emotions, that led to her actions. So how did we solve that? We looked for a promise, like I said. And here was the promise that we grabbed onto. And you read the yellow. Ready? For, be not dismayed, for, strengthen you, help you, uphold you with my righteous. So here's what we did. I said, Gertie, how about this? Next time I say, time to greet people, you stand up, and instead of running to the restroom, you hold out your left hand. And you envision the Lord coming along with his righteous right hand and grabbing your left hand and taking you down the aisle to meet somebody you don't know. She did that. She did that. That was faith. Instead of not challenging, instead of not, she wasn't challenging her thoughts before, but now she challenged them and she challenged them with God's promises. And she had faith in those promises, which led to Love, because scripture says faith works itself out through love, Galatians 5. She became welcoming. She was open to strangers. And eventually, she invited everybody in the church to her house. <laughs> yeah. So we had to give her a new nickname. Instead of Shy Gertie, it was Hospitality Gertie. But think about that, gang. Look what God did. Ordinary person, simple thing, and God showed up. And he grew her in her emotional life. So much so that she's totally swung from avoiding everybody to having everybody over to her house. What could Jesus do if we gave him the chance to make us into a harvest labor in his training program? All right, so we looked at the fact that God had to train a prophet in this area. He had to train an apostle in this area to train a church lady in this area. Who else does God train in these kinds of things? Missionaries. Yeah. This gal's name is Florence Allshorn. That's a picture of when she was older. But when she was 33, a single young lady, a teacher of girls, she went with the London Mission Society in 1933 
to Uganda, where, where the London Missionary Society had a work, a mission station. When she got there, her supervisor welcomed her and said, Florence, we're so glad you're here. Let me show you your room. You and I share the room. This side is mine, that side is yours. And all of the furniture and books and things were on the supervisor's side, and there was nothing on Florence's side. Yeah, welcome to Uganda and the mission. She didn't speak the language, didn't know anybody. What's she going to do? So having ten, and, and after weeks of, and even months of dealing with this woman, her supervisor, who was a bitter, depressed, nasty, mean lady, by everybody's description, and that's, why, and that's why seven gals who had come before Florence had left immediately, went back to London. So Florence has a choice. Am I victim number eight? Should I do? And what happened was she broke down, and that's, this is a little updated picture, you know, they, she didn't have jeans and sneakers, but, but she, she went out and was crying and sobbing her eyes out on the kitchen steps of that mission statement. And the Ugandan kitchen maid comes out and sees this and puts her hand on her and says, well, well, what do we have here? Another missionary come here to save us, and after 15 years you've been coming here, and who's going to save you? Florence then sought the Lord, and the Lord, she said the Lord showed her, read and memorize and meditate on 1 Corinthians 13 every day, multiple times a day. She did that for a year, and doing that simple thing, ordinary person, simple thing, God showed her how to minister to her supervisor by giving her books, and the supervisor would reciprocate. And friends, no kidding, after nine years, if you had gone there, you would have wondered, how did, how did somebody bring heaven down to earth right here? <laughs> because that, the, the tenor of the whole thing changed so much that the London Missionary Society said to Florence, Florence, you have to come home. You have to come home and teach the new recruits what you've learned since it's, it brings such God's blessing. And she said, okay, I'll come home. And the story was written up in the book about her life, and this is what she taught the new recruits. That mission is, and missions, is me learning to offer you the same Jesus offers me. And that's something for you to fill in there. That's what she learned. Even with a nasty, bitter, older woman, she learned to offer that lady the same quality relationship Jesus was offering her. And that's not some psychology, friends. That's biblical. What Jesus said to his disciples, the new commandment I give you to you, that you love one another. Ready? There it is. You also are to love one another. And he said that to young single men. It's interesting. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So that's what happened, right? Jonah was high truth, low grace. Peter was high grace, low truth. Gertie was low truth and low grace. And Florence learned how to be high grace and high truth. They're full of that. Does that all make sense to you? You want to have fun, especially if you have teenagers? Draw this matrix on a piece of paper today when you get home and ask your teenagers to plot you, mom and dad. You're going to start a riot. Well, then teens, your parents get to plot you, too. Okay. All right. So in this training program, 
of more harvest laborers, right? We've seen that we need to see people like Jesus does and talk to ourselves about them the way he trained his disciples to talk to themselves about it. Redemptive opportunity. We need to feel what Jesus felt when he saw such need and, have to, and be, recognize that the things that happened in my life, what is God doing? He is using these circumstances to grow me into the emotional maturity of Jesus so I can offer people the same quality relationship. And then lastly, he sent his disciples out. That's in Matthew chapter 10. So we see like him, we feel like him, and we go like him. And the first thing, of course, we need to do in going is praying, right? It's a spiritual battle. God's in charge of hearts. We need to pray and ask God to change hearts, right? Well, how about this? This is a farm in Charlotte, North Carolina, 1934 dairy farm. The owner of this farm, uh, once a month, he and his uh, other, other Charlotte businessmen and farmers would get together at this farm and pray about the needs of Charlotte, North Carolina. One day a traveling salesman came through, joined them and said, guys, let's, let's enlarge our prayers. Let's pray that right from Charlotte, God will raise up someone to preach the gospel to the whole world. Hmm, well, it could be risky. What if he doesn't? Well, there was a young man on that farm. His name was Billy. Billy Graham's father was the owner of that farm. Now think about this. Ordinary men, farmers, etc., doing simple things, praying together once a month, and asking God to raise up someone to preach the God. Well, I would think it would be an answered prayer because it, when, how did Jesus say we should be praying for laborers? Once a year on Mission Sunday? Beggingly? Imploringly? Well, no wonder then that God answered these, people, these men's prayers. Ordinary men, simple things. And Billy Graham is the one who preached the gospel of the whole world more than anybody else. All right. All right. So, but what if you feel like, because you're older, you may be, let's say, 80 years old, you're a widow, you live alone, you just don't feel like God can really use you, but you live across the street from a high school like this in northern New Jersey. And in 1956, you see young men going in and out, especially greasers. Remember greasers? Okay, yeah, and... You start praying that God will save one of those young men and use them to preach the gospel to the world because you know what Jesus is asking. And then you feel this, you hear this voice, go across the street and hand a gospel of John to one of those young men and then pray for him. All right, that's an ordinary person doing something simple. And she did that. What happened? A few years later, that young man named George Verwer founded an organization called Operation Mobilization. They have come up with four ships to go around the world visiting 480 different ports in 151 countries and over 45 million visitors have come aboard. And this is the neater thing. This is even more exciting to me. OM currently has 6,800 harvest laborers, usually single young people, representing more than, this is what I love, 100 nationalities. That's missions today. It's no longer from the West to the rest. It's from everywhere to everywhere. And they're in 118 countries seeking to see vibrant communities of Jesus followers among the least reached. But isn't that encouraging? Even an 80-year-old widow, something simple, and God showed up. What could Jesus do? We all need those new bracelets. Hurry up and make them. All right, here's, the, here's some specifics on the need yet remaining. And our, the Board of Missions can provide you with lots of that information. 
uh, for your missions committee to give to you. We also have a weekly prayer guide, all kinds of stuff, but we have resources for you, and please take advantage of that and uh, your missions committee. All right, so that's praying. What else in terms of acting is giving? Because as the Apostle Paul asked the question, well, how, uh, if they go, how, they have to be sent. Somebody has to pay for it, right? All right. What do you think is the value of that living room? That's a living room in southeastern Minnesota. John and Evangeline Krauss in 1959, they're in their 50s at that point in time, raised their kids, and they asked the question, and they were just turkey farmers, by the way, in southeastern Minnesota, How could, what could we do more for missions because we still aren't finished with the job? They got the idea. What if we invite people to our house, to our living room, once a month on a Saturday afternoon, we'll have some coffee, we'll hear from a missionary or read a letter, and we'll all pledge to give financially to the needs of that missionary. And then we'll have dinner together, and then we'll go home. They did that. And they did it once a month for 30 years. And out of that one living room, they sent nearly $2 million into missions. So I have to ask the question, what's in your wallet? Or maybe it should be, what's in your living room? Those are ordinary people who did simple things. God showed up. That's, that's just, and they used, you know, here's, what, here's the thing. They were promised believers also. And this is the promise to live by for all of that giving that they did. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, the, for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be to no exceptions, I guess, every, every, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the is yeah, it can happen. Paul told the Corinthians that and it can happen in Lebanon. Why not? And man, are you going to let people from North Carolina and New Jersey outpray you? I mean, come on. I mean, I know if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. All right. So I'm told. All right, one more thing. After praying and giving, there's going, right? He did send them out. Let's go back to 1994 and a, and a tobacco shed outside of Windsor, Virginia, a small little rural town where yours truly was pa a pastor. And one day my neighbor came to me and he said, Jim, reverend, preacher, that's preacher's what they call you there, preacher, um, a bunch of us play rock and roll music in this tobacco shed outside of town every Friday night. We always have plenty of drummers, plenty of guitar players, and plenty of singers, but we never have bass players. And we hear you're a bass player. Would you like to come out and play? And I thought, oh, well, okay. Um, and then he said, but look, preacher, you have to be a big boy about this. I said, what do you mean I have to be a big boy about this? Well, you're not going to be with church people. You're going to be with tax collectors and sinners. And he knew that lingo because his father-in-law was a preacher. He said, we, you know, they do things. I said, okay. So I, I went to my elders and I said, this is what's been offered to me. What should I do? And I was hoping they'd say, no, don't go. You know, you'll get a reputation. They said, man, this is just like Luke chapter 7. Go! I said, okay, I'll go. And so on Friday nights, after about 10 o'clock there, our kids were young, put those to bed. I'd go out there, play bass for two hours. Midnight, they take a break. 
and they would pepper me with questions. Hey, preacher, what does the Bible say about this? Hey, preacher, why do Christians believe X? And, and just sometimes almost for a half an hour, I'd be out there answering questions with tax collectors and sinners and sharing the gospel with them. And these are people who were not church people, I can tell you that. Man, sometimes I would come home so full of joy just to be able to do that. It's an ordinary person doing simple things. And you know what? The Lord keeps giving me the opportunity to do that. This is at the Bally Hotel. Uh, it's a pub and um, it's a bar. And I've, these, uh, these guys have asked me to play for them. But here's a story for you on this one. You see, you see that fellow on the left there in the black shirt singing? Okay. Uh, one night, the first night I met him, I was sitting out in, his little, in the pub and I was watching him work his way up to sing and he was kind of goofy. And when he got up there, he said silly things. And I turned to the person next to me who was actually a, 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 attended my church on occasion. I said, that, that looks like that guy's already drunk. You know, it was only 5.30. She goes, oh, no, 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 Pastor Jim. He, this is the first time out after getting over his stage three cancer treatments. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> what did I do, right? I judged and I dismissed. And was there any compassion on Pastor Jim's part? No. But I went to play with somebody else that night when he was there, and he came up to me afterwards. Hey, man, I loved your bass playing. Here's 10 songs. Will you play for me next time? <laughs> oh, God is good, right? A little redemption there from, uh, from, for Pastor Jim. Ordinary people, simple things, God shows up. Now, here's, here's what we have to, we have to come down to our, uh, end our message here, but let's read this. Ready? He who in summer is a, but he who is a son who, let me, what do you think? Is it possible in life as a believer there's really only two categories here? Either I am harvesting or in a training program to harvest, or I am what? I am sleeping. Remember, God takes ordinary people, enables them to do simple things, and then he shows up. Well, it reminds me what Jesus had to say. If you're thinking you're an exception, you do, you do not... Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? And Jesus said to his disciples, see the eyes? I tell you, let, there you go. And that the, yeah, yeah. And so now friends, I did not Photoshop this. This is a real sign. Can you put your name there? I have left some charts in the back. Um, Brother Eric can tell you where they are on ideas for you ordinary people to get started with simple things. And then God will show up. Because what we need to finish this job is we need every believer, disciple on mission and all Bible fellowship churches, churches supporting missions and at least one BFC missionary. Thank you very much. For letting me be with you today. It's been a pleasure. I, I forgot to mention that I'm actually a Lebanon Valley College graduate, and so I have fond memories of coming out to this area, especially my un involuntary visit to Lebanon General Hospital after eating the mystery meat one night at the college. So anyway, <clears throat> thank you so much. And uh, what's the next thing? Do you want me to close? Oh, you're coming up? Okay, Eric. Great.